middle of our family emphasis month, and uh, we're taking time during our Sunday school to have uh, some, uh, some different things go on. But I want us to pray this morning before we get started. We have all kinds of classes going on this morning, and we're going to pray the Lord would have his way in this class and in all the classes taking place today. Why don't you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, we're so thankful and privileged to be here today. And Lord, we're, we know that your word is present. We know that your spirit is here. And Lord, I ask you that you would anoint every ear to hear your word in every class, Lord, that you would anoint every teacher, every speaker today, Lord, that you would have your way among us, that you would plant a seed in our heart, God, that you would challenge us today with your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the start of uh, every uh, one of our Sunday schools during this time, we're going to have someone that's going to come up and speak for a uh, short time. And uh, this week, we are, last week we talked about parenting in general. The two main topics we're focusing on during this time in our Sunday school is parenting and marriage. And so we're going to continue on with parenting today. And uh, since we, got, we didn't quite get it all figured out last week, the interview couples last week didn't give us enough advice. This week, we're going to talk, continue to talk about parenting. Uh, but this time, we're talking about it, and I wish there was a better way to say it because this is no longer true, uh, parenting in non-traditional family settings. And we did talk about this a little bit last year, um, but we're going to cover this again specifically. And again, I, I hate the fact that it's called non-traditional because statistics now show that um, a mom and a dad in a first marriage with a few kids is no longer traditional. It's in the minority of 46%. Uh, now, it is still the majority of people are in that situation uh, as one particular situation, but there's a, a whole host uh, of different family arrangements that there are now. Some of them we don't agree with scripturally. Some of them are life circumstances, and we're not here to uh, judge those circumstances of those people today. However, we would like to get some insight because sometimes we feel like we're alone. Sometimes we feel like there's no one else that knows our situation. Uh, and so we're going to get some insight today uh, in, in a variety of these situations, hopefully, with the Lord's help. And uh, to start this all off, we have asked someone uh, to speak to you this morning, and she has, um, she's been in this church for a long time. She's a Sunday school teacher. She has given up her class this morning to speak to us, and she's also brought along a fan club with her today. <laughs> but we would like Sister Alicia Ambiel to come up here this morning. Why don't you welcome her? She is not nervous, she is ready to go, and we are so glad she's going to speak to us this morning. That's not true, I just told him I was really nervous, and he said, well, if you're nervous, I'm nervous. Um, but I'm glad that my mom and dad are here with me today. But um, when Brother Kyle asked me to talk, I kind of got really nervous, and I said, well, what specifically are you wanting me to say, you know, about non-traditional, like parenting in a non-traditional family. And he goes, well, whatever you want. And that really got me more nervous. <laughs> I got really overwhelmed. But so I started just working a little bit at a time, uh, deciding exactly what vein I wanted to go in. So um, I want to start out by, by saying what I and what actually the dictionary classifies as a traditional parent. Um, and that is a husband and wife or a man or a woman that are having children born to them from their own DNA and raised together in the same household. That's, what con that's what's considered a traditional parent. So anything that is not a traditional parent is anything other than that, 
which could be a step-parent, an adoptive parent, a foster parent, a single parent, a familiar parent like grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, or legal guardians. So that's the other side of it. So we have traditional, non-traditional. And Brother Kyle was talking about some of my statistics that I looked up. Um, Worldwide, I didn't realize this, but the most traditional parents are in the Middle East, which surprised me a little bit. And then um, the least um, that have uh, traditional parents are in South Africa, and that's mainly due to disease and um, chronic illnesses that take parents away. And then we are actually, us in Europe, are in second place of having the most non-traditional parents. And then I started looking up at statistics of Illinois, Marion County, Salem, and a lot of those were kind of, nothing was really specific. But then I thought, you know what? We're all here together. Let's just look at our church. So I got on Breeze, which was nice, and started just systematically going through. And I have to tell you, this is probably not 100% because I don't know everybody's history. But generally, all of us together, over 60% of our church is made up of either non-traditional parents or children of non-traditional parents. So more than half of us here can identify with something I'm talking about today. That kind of eased my nervousness a little because I thought, okay, hopefully somebody here will identify with what I'm saying. And I also figured that I'm in good company. We're all friends here, and (laughs) if I'm nervous, oh well. (laughs) So I'm starting out with my history first, starting out. Um, I was raised in a traditional home until I was about 10 years old. And then at the age of 10, my parents decided to adopt my brother who was seven. His name is William. He lives in Florida right now, and he's safe, by the way. And um, as a child, I did not realize that we became a non-traditional family. I mean, as a child, you don't really think about those things. And... um, My parents really never used a label or anything like that, and I don't know that labels were that big back then either. People didn't really call themselves certain things, I guess. I don't know. But the older I got, I realized, number one, that I'd been ousted from being the baby of the family. (laughs) That was a big deal to me. I remember whining several times saying, I'm just the middle child. Janet's the oldest, and he's the baby, and I'm nothing. I remember (laughs) having those crying fits sometimes. But actually, the older I got, I finally did realize there were recognizable differences between me and my brother. There were some really big ones. There was some parts of his past life that were not like mine that would never go away. Those parts in his life would never be different. And also, we were made up with different DNA. That's just the obvious part of it. My parents did a really good job um, treating my brother the same as me and my sister were treated. In fact, there were times that I felt like he got treated better. I'm just going to tell you, honestly and truthfully. But my parents continued to show a really deep, and when I say deep, I mean a deep reliance on God during this time. And um, they probably quoted Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, a bazillion times, which says, Trust on the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. And boy, I will tell you, they had to lean on the Lord just from things I saw them go through, you know, different trials and difficult decisions. But the one thing that they had in common during that whole time was that they were always united in their decisions together, which I think is key for parenting. My kids even try that on me to divide us up. But 
Um, let's fast forward then after that, about 13 years later, I met the love of my life, Todd, and he had a beautiful brown-eyed daughter named Cassie. And past many dates and like times at Chuck E. Cheese and many park times, we went to a lot of parks, <laughs> um, we were married. And through a lot of prayer, too, I'll tell you that. Uh, but I felt semi-prepared to be a parent. I mean, my parents made it look really easy. <laughs> and Cassie was very sweet and very smart, very loving. And she was very well-behaved, I will tell you. Very, she was a very good girl. But I found out two things really quick. Number one, my parents made it look easy. <laughs> Wasn't always easy. And number two, and this was the hardest part, that there was and there would always be a third party that was going to be present in this parenting venture. It was Cassie's mom. And it was very hard for me. I have very written very big on my paper. Um, there was nothing that Todd and I couldn't work out together, and we were very committed to our vows. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, he and I could work it out. But I will tell you, there were times that there were some things I did not agree with that she thought. <laughs> there was a lot of times. That other person, you know, there was somebody else's input that we had to deal with. I can be honest and tell you that. But thankfully, God blessed me with a very wise husband that had been on the co-parenting venture for six years before that. He'd kind of figured some things out that I had not figured out. And we realized, or I realized, that even though Todd and I would agree on something, it didn't mean that that's the way things would go. Um, and with God and Todd's help, I learned that it, while it was a lot easier and faster just to blow up the bridge, <laughs> it was harder and it took a lot longer to rebuild it. There were some builds, I'll tell you, I blew up. <laughs> and then I had to go back and fix it. <laughs> and it was hard. Um, but ultimately, what I realized is I had to do what was best for Cassie. What was best for our daughter. And it was hard for me. I hated being called a stepmother. <laughs> I hated it. But that's what I was, I mean, truthfully. And... Um, I realized it wasn't about things being fair or being right. I mean, it's important for things to be right, but in this situation, I wasn't able to make things right all the time. And I could tell you, I'd probably tell you many times, I'd say, well, that's not right. She can't, she can't do that. And she did. <laughs> but what I realized too in Philippians uh, chapter 2, 3 through 4, in the English Standard Version, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Well, that was really talking to me. <laughs> it was painful <laughs> sometimes. And then in verse 5, it goes on to say, Having this mind among yourselves, which is in you, in yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So here I was wanting to be equal with her mom. It wasn't going to happen. It did not happen. And it still hasn't happened. It will never happen. I'm not her mother. 
And uh, so I had to look towards somebody else's interest, which was Cassie's. And there was sometimes it was her mother's interest I had to look towards. It was hard. And uh, further, Jesus, it says that Jesus humbled himself to show his ultimate love for us by dying on the cross further on down in that scripture. And when that realization finally hit me that the ultimate gift that I could give Cassie was just really simple, which was love, just a simple gift of love, oh, it was like just finally it, it took away pressure and it took away awkwardness. I just... It's very awkward sometimes being in that middle person. You're just stuck in that middle spot where it's like, well, you're not the mom, but you have to make decisions. But yet your decisions may not stick. It's that, it's that awkward feeling where you're in between. But when I finally realized what I really needed to give was love, it took that pressure. It took the pressure to take away, or the pressure that was taken away was for natural things to happen. I was trying to make something that, was, that would naturally happen, just happen. And it was a struggle, I'll tell you. But the pressure that went away was parenting like I thought a mother should. The pressure to gain her love. When I was just giving love, it didn't really matter if I wasn't receiving it at that point when I was focused on giving it. But when I was just so focused on thinking, oh, I have to get her to like me. I got I to gotta find some way to get her to love me. It was hard. That was very difficult. Number three, it also um, took away the pressure to be a greater godly influence. And you think, well, how could that be pressure? Her mom didn't live for the Lord, so I felt like this need to say, oh, I've got to show her what God should really do in her life. I have to be, I mean, it, it got overwhelming. It's like, how can I even accomplish this when somebody else is telling her something totally different and I'm trying to be this greater influence. It took away that pressure when I just realized I just needed to give her love. Um, and also, it took away the pressure to make up for something that I thought was missing. I looked, I looked at that a lot and thought, man, she's missing out on this, or she's missing this, missing. and I was trying to fill in all those gaps. I couldn't do it. I was just frustrated. My poor husband had to deal with me. <laughs> but... Um, all this would eventually come with time. It did happen with time, but it didn't happen through my own selfish ambition. And that's, I, I can truly, honestly tell you, that's what it was. I wanted, it, I, I wanted to look like a good mom. You know, it wasn't that I wanted her to be a great child at the beginning. It was because I wanted to look like a good mom. <laughs> this is painful for me to, meet, for me to admit, I'm just telling you. <laughs> but I finally figured out that if I truly loved her, I would make allowances for her mother's sake, for Cassie's sake, all of those things all together. And like I said, it was not instantaneous. It took a long time. She was seven when we were married, and she's 26 now. And I still have to <laughs> deal with some things. But my love for her would grow just as in any relationship. I mean, I love my husband more today than the day I married him. I love the Lord today more than when I first met him. And our love grew and grew. And actually, it wasn't until I had a baby of my own that I realized how much faster this process happened when you're developing a deep, loving relationship. I mean, I thought, man, this is 
hard. And then when you have an infant, you're sitting there holding this infant, and you're, oh, you fall in love, like, immediately. And then, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a, something that grows. So that's why when I realized finally at that point, no wonder why it was so hard. I didn't have all of those years before to develop that. Um, and 1 Thessalonians three eleven through 12 in the English Standard Version says, Now may our Father... Our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love one for another as we all do for you. God's word states that we must grow and increase in love. It's going gonna, it's gonna to build. It's going to grow. It's not something that you can make happen. You can't make somebody love you. <laughs> but you can make yourself love. That's the interesting part of that. Um, uh, and God's love, and he, God is love, so why wouldn't we look to his word for examples on how to do this? That's what I finally ended up having to do. Here I was trying to just go from my past experience of what I thought I should do, but when I turned to his word, and there, there are tons of examples in the Bible of how we should love, and it, there's tons of examples of non-traditional parents in the Bible. I mean, if you start looking through, uh, Hagar and her son Ishmael, she was a single parent. I mean, she got booted out. And actually, she became the mother at the woman who booted her out's request. I mean, how unfair is that? That's not right, right? That's not right. She shouldn't do that. Um, And then uh, Moses was a foster parent. He was fostered by Pharaoh's daughter. Samuel was raised in the temple by Eli. I mean, there's sometimes I'd like to give Max to Brother Gene and let him raise him in here for a while. Um, Esther, Esther was adopted by her cousin Mordecai, who gave her great advice. It was wonderful. Um, and there, there were numerous children of widows that were either, I mean, some of them were miraculously raised by the dead, from the dead, and they were provided for miraculously. I mean, they didn't have food. I mean, the portion of meal that was just, she was going to feed it to her son, and then they were going to die. I mean, the Lord provided, um, turn my page I'm sorry but throughout the Old Testament New Testament through the New Testament brother Kyle was talking in our that class about uh first Peter uh about how people were persecuted I mean so you know there were tons of people that were left without parents that other people had to parent them they had to step in there's many many wars throughout the ages I'm thinking of the Civil War I'm thinking of World War II the mass the masses of people that were, that were killed, that there were children that needed to be parented. You know, this isn't a new problem. I won't say even problem, but it's not a new happening. It's not something that's always been there. And when I realized finally that Jesus himself was raised by a non-traditional parent. I mean, I, when I really thought of that, it was like, man, I wondered how hard it would have been for Joseph to be that non-traditional parent, you know. I mean, he had an angel to tell him not to be afraid, so I guess that was probably pretty convincing. At some point, you know, if an angel came to me and said, hey, Alicia, don't be afraid what you're doing, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, sure, anything goes, Lord. But um, not, as, not a lot is said, really, about how Jesus was parented. We do know, though, that he did cause them some distress, says that when he said, I've got to be about my father's business. (laughs) I mean, you know, that was kind of distressing for them. But the Bible says that he did submit to them and to their authority. But in the end, when I realized that it was God's love that I had to show my stepdaughter, I eventually had to have God's word and his love work through me. And then I was truly able to love as I should as a non-traditional parent. In Ephesians 
1, 3, or 4 through 5, it says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And in the end, God's purpose and will for all of us is to be joined together in one common bond, and that is simply love. Thank you for that, Alicia. Great words, and uh, great words of experience there, uh, having come through uh, everything and the Lord speaking and giving direction. Amen. I think it's important for us to understand that we are uh, not alone. Amen. And uh, we have some people that are going to come up here to be uh, interviewed, and uh, I think part of... uh, she said that there was a, a large majority of people here that are in, if you want to, and again, I look for another phrase, and there's not really a phrase yet for non-traditional, um, but there's a lot of people in this place that, that are in that kind of setting, whatever it may be, and so then I ended up with a bunch of chairs. I had some people that had the flu and couldn't be here, so I was asking people this morning, and now I've got like a host of uh, something behind me. I think there's more people being interviewed than in the choir today. Um, <laughs> But if those people ask if you would uh, make your way up at this time, uh, just come on up here and grab a chair. That would be wonderful. Um, Even those who said you weren't going to come, just come right on up. Make yourself at home here in front of everybody. We've got single dads here this morning. Two of them here this morning. Come on up, they're slowly making their way here. Give you some microphones as we get up here. A hand this morning. I'm glad they've decided to join us. And uh, I'll step over this way a little bit. Uh, but what we're going to do here, first of all, uh, we've got, again, this is, this is uh, combining a whole variety of uh, uh, family types here. So we're not even going to be able to get in depth into each one. But if you, would just, if you wouldn't mind just going through and telling us uh, what your household is, why you would be considered a non-traditional family uh, at this point. And I'll start out with uh, Sister Angela Sloss here. She is in a very unique position because she's a married single parent right now, sort of. So she's in a unique position, and so that's why she's up here as well. And, and uh, we, we couldn't decide whether we should talk about child uh, raising or uh, the marriage issue because she's She's got a variety of things going on in her life, and I think it's important for us to understand some of those things. So if you would tell us a little bit about uh, Richard and just your situation briefly. Well, when I married Will, he was old, is it not? Yeah, number he was, four. He was older, and we had a late in, I was 45 when we got Richard, so, um, and God blessed us with him, so uh, he's changed our whole lives, but... Then fast forward seven years later, six, four years later, um, Will's health started declining. So we have, um, I'm, I've got both ends of the spectrum. I'm trying to raise him and take care of him. So um, it got to the point where I had no choice but to have Will put, uh, to take Will to the nursing home because he, uh, it was best for him and it's best for Richard. So. Um, here I am with a seven-year-old, almost eight-year-old, that I'm trying to raise uh, in the best manner that I can and s- 
still have his father included in his life. So. Tim and Amy. <laughs> Tim, to be without words. <laughs> um, I would describe me and Tim's marriage and our children as his, hers, and ours. That's, that's my non-traditional, his, hers, and ours, and we joke about it. All right. Well, and then oh. I'll add to that. So I had to let her talk first because I was afraid I'd say something wrong. <laughs> you probably still will. <laughs> uh, you know, so uh, we are in a numb state because we're empty nests. You know, everybody said how great it was, but it's just we haven't really noticed being empty nest yet. So we're excited to see what really happened. <laughs> I, uh, we had, uh, my wife and I had four children of our own. We wanted two and ended up with four and uh, decided there's no way in the world we was ever going to have any more children, so we didn't. We just started collecting them. And uh, <laughs> but, uh, we, we have adopted three more, uh, have guardianship of Serenity, and uh, this little baby showed up the other day. I'm still asking my wife where she came from. So, <laughs> but, uh, so we have a very large family, very large household. Amen. And their blessings in my life. I'm thankful for them. Uh, my wife is not here today, but uh, we have six kids all together. She had four grown, I had two grown, and then we have three foster boys also in the house. So. <laughs> Don is simply here to keep Homer in check. Well, I'm trying to keep up with, uh, it must be the Homer situation because I'm trying to keep up with the burners on their kids too. So, no, just, we have three of our own. Uh, we just married one a couple uh, weeks ago, our baby, and uh, we adopted uh, three of them of ourselves. And uh, we love them just like they were our own. Sure. And I was once one of them child. Uh, when I was 13, and somebody adopted me when I was 13, and uh, their oldest one was four, and what made us decide to do this is because of uh, somebody could do that for me. Right. I figure right. that, you know, I could do it for somebody else, or we could do it for somebody else, and uh, before we took the three kids with us, uh, adopted them, uh, we went into foster care, and we put our kids involved in it because it was a whole family situation. And we just didn't want to make the decision ourselves because we knew our kids were going to be involved in it. And uh, so we ended up with uh, two of them with a foster care, uh, started with them, and then we ended up with A.J. The mother had another baby, and we ended up with A.J. with three, three day old. And uh, that was a little difference. I'm 52 years old, and I mentioned to my wife, I says, Let's try not to have no more kids, you know, and, uh, but if the Lord tarries and God moves on us again, we're going to take some more kids in. So that's where we're at right now. All right. Well, together we have one of our own. Bitsy, she's a three-year-old Chawini. <laughs> and, but in our household, um, <laughs> I always tell Rob that Shadrach, which is his dog, has his eyes. <laughs> But um, in our household, we have Dalton and Jade, which are mine, and Luke, which is Rob's. But Rob also has an oldest, an older son who's adopted, Blake, and then Dylan's in the Marines, and Grace. 
but in our home, it's Dalton, Luke, and Jade, and Bitsy. All right. And then also, uh, Faith, uh, speaking as well, you were also a single mother for several years. And so um, some of these questions uh, may be answered from that perspective as well. So we have a variety here, and again, this is not everything, and we're not going to have time to get real in-depth with some of them, but we do have some questions. Some of them may be more targeted towards uh, the blended family. Some of them may be more towards uh, uh, raising a child uh, on your own. So uh, first question is, in, in how has your, uh, and this may be more for the blended families, uh, however that is, how has your parenting style changed or has it changed uh, from either being by yourself with your kids to getting married and kids or having your kids and then adopted kids or being 52 and then getting a baby? How has the parenting style changed even up to including discipline? You just beat them all the same or, you know, how, how does that go? I, I could give you a, a brief answer. So uh, when we married, you know, we had his, hers, ours. Uh, or, or we have his, her, his, hers, ours. And uh, when I took the vow, I knew that I was taking on those children. And we made it a point to not, uh, I mean, we talked nearly daily about it. We were going to raise those kids as ours. And so there was no, uh, there really was, it was a seamless transaction for us. We re- had all of our kids uh, in the home, you know, all the time they grew up, so. As the wife, Alicia, and we had one parent that was, you know, interacted. We had one child. We had custody of all of them, but we had one child that visited another parent. So we had that same challenge. But as a wife coming into this, there were times that I didn't always agree with Tim's decision, but I respected that so that we did stay seamless and we're on the same page. Now, though, as empty nesters, we're pretty, uh, we're more hands-off and because we had an instant family then, it's we're reverse honeymooning now, and I love it. <laughs> so how about some of the uh, adoptive and, and, and foster parents? Do you think it changed at all? Uh, well, with me, I come from a family of five boys, and I had two boys. And then Mary and Bev that had two girls that was in the house. Um, being grown up around boys and being with boys, it took some getting used to as far as how I spoke, how I acted, um, disciplined, because they cry. (laughs) And the boys don't. (laughs) Yeah. I think you have to just weigh out each situation differently with all of their children. My wife and I used to argue about if you do one thing for one child, you have to do it for all of them. And I looked around and I said, well, look at what our Heavenly Father has done for different people. Just say here, uh, a wise father knows what his child can handle and what he can't. But, you know, there's a temptation when you are a foster parent um, to want to critique uh, the children that aren't your own blood children, maybe a little more than you do your own. And... And, and God showed that to me, and, and I'm thankful that he did because you, I want them to understand. I remember the look on Jackson's face one day when somebody said, uh, well, well, where did these kids come from? And I said, well, we adopted these children, and, and Jackson had a look on his face, and I refused to use the word adopted anymore. I refused to use the words guardianship. These are my kids. 
It doesn't matter if they're black or white or Mexican. These are my kids. And I don't want to... I caught Joshua the other day. He's my spoiled brat baby uh, from our four. Uh, and by the way, if he's listening to this, happy birthday today, son. He's 16. Um, and the baby gets treated, uh, you know, pretty special. But I saw the other day one of the boys had went out to the garage into the refrigerator, grabbed a Pepsi, popped a bag of popcorn, and was taking it downstairs. And I said, what, uh, no, we don't, we don't do this. What are you doing? Well, Joshua wanted some Pepsi and popcorn. I said, um, uh, tell Joshua, come here. <laughs> you know, one thing I can't do, you cannot do, is show any treatment differently from one to the other. Yeah. Because children will pick up on that so fast, and they will turn it against you. Yeah. And I told Joshua, I said, I want you to go out to the garage and get a Pepsi. Go get another bag of popcorn and holler for Jackson. I want you to go get that for him. And uh, that stopped. I didn't see that happen anymore. But it, it's, it's difficult when we had, we've had several foster children. Uh, my wife drug me into it, kicking and screaming and yelling. I said, I'll never do it, woman. You're nuts. Uh, and, and I still believe part of that today. Uh, but I tell you what. Let me tell you one thing about my wife. And I learned, I, I've known this all my life, and I've had people... I guess one of the most notable, as I began to think about this this morning, I sat across the table uh, here a few years ago from Ronnie and Nora Smith. Uh, I took John out there. We were looking at his uh, brother Smith's chickens. And John was acting up a little bit because he knew Sister Nora would probably give him some candy or something, and she did. Sister Nora, you said something to me that day that I've never, ever forgotten. I thank you for that. You told me no matter how many children the Lord puts in your home, don't you ever forget your wife is your most valued possession. And I thank you for that, Sister Smith. You know, no matter how many children the Lord desires for us to have, if I don't treat her like my queen, my children are going to see that and treat their wives and their spouses the same way. And that's very important. Yeah, and I think there's something in there too that... Um, uh, I mean, just honestly, I'd venture to say most people in here are conservative, I would think, uh, even though some of you don't think I am. I'm pretty conservative. Um, I, what Brother Berner said, though, about the word adopted, uh, when I was reading some things about, uh, you know, non-traditional families, uh, that was one thing that kept coming up is the way that certain people are labeled uh, and they don't like it. Uh, and it's easy for us. And, and, and as much as we don't agree with all the political correctness to throw the baby out with the bathwater, since we're talking about kids, that's a good analogy. Um, but it's easy for us to, to just say, well, I don't agree with political correctness and all this, uh, you know, pampering everyone, all this stuff, and just throw it out. However, there are valid things in there as well. And we need to be careful, and I hate to say it, sensitive and that seems to be a negative word now too, but to be sensitive to some of these things and how we label people and how we discuss things. And so uh, that's important as well. And also, uh, that's not just an adoptive foster and kid thing, that, that go get me stuff, because we've yeah. got that too. Cooper will come in and say, uh, Isaac sent me in to get, get him a piece of cake or whatever it is, so that just <laughs> happens. For, for those that have dealt with uh, being a single parent to some degree, um, 
I, I would ask you the same thing, like uh, raising a child, discipline, issues like that, because it's been mentioned uh, uh, several times, the agreement of a parent, of two parents, and this is how we're going to deal with it. So as a single parent or in that kind of situation, how do you deal with discipline? Do you discuss that with someone? Is it just on your own? Um, maybe speak to that just a little, if that's not too broad of a thing to, to say. I came from a very authoritarian family, so I had set ideas as to how I was to um, discipline a child, and Richard has broken every single one of those ideals that I had. So um, I do, um, I had a lot of ideas, so I didn't really have to consult anyone until he started breaking all of my ideals, and then I um, decided that it was time to um, uh, talk to God about every single tiny thing. Mm -hmm. So um, he is the controller over all of my decisions. I, I try very, very hard to make him the controller over every decision I make with Richard, and it's, uh, he makes it um, easier for me. I was um, um, single for about seven or eight years, uh, just me, Dalton, and Jade. And for the most part, you know, I handled things pretty well. I relied on my parents a lot. But there was um, a couple in our church who was I, I was very good friends with, had known them for years and years. And her husband um, really helped a lot with Dalton and discipline issues. And then, of course, my pastor did as well. But um, so that's where I got a lot of support and help. Good. It's good. Um, for those that have uh, uh, the families, uh, this I may give you, you may need a minute to think about this, maybe not. Uh, hopefully with your own kids, this wasn't a process, uh, and you'll understand when I ask the question. But is there a moment uh, or was there an instance when, it went from, and Sister Alicia talked about it, when it goes from you know it's your kid now to when you realized I actually love this kid. And like I said, hopefully that wasn't an issue with your own kids that you had, that there was that moment. Uh, when they were 10 years old, you realized you loved them. But was there a moment where you thought, you know, something happened, and again, usually something small or, or it could be insignificant, but yet something clicked inside of you where you thought, this is not just my wife's kid or these are not just adopted kids, but these are my kids. I, I can kind of speak on a situation regarding that. Just within probably the last year or so, um, Luke had became really sick and he missed a few days of school, and I, I felt that, that same concern and love and compassion. I was really worried about him having to be put in the hospital, to be quite honest, but that was kind of a, you know, an aha moment for me, sort of speak, whenever, you know, I knew that those were the same feelings that I would have towards my own children, so... I've, I would say that that moment came to me with uh, Ethan within the last year. I know I love all my children, but Ethan moved out, and it was kind of a, you know, some of my kids are just a little more distant right now. And, but then after Ethan met his biological mom, uh, he started coming back to the house, and he would, 
he just would, he'd just hug me and say, Mom, I love you. And, and I started noticing things like he hated gardening when he was a kid. Now he's like the garden king. And it was like he hated mowing and now he mows. And it was, it's like he's doing all these things that I did with him as a child that I was like, ah. But I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just something over the past year with him that I knew I loved him, but there's just a closeness and a warming more so with him. I remember, um, I don't treat the three kids that we adopted. I don't even like to say adopted. They're my family. And uh, they will always be, regardless what color it is. Um, I don't treat one different than the other. Uh, little AJ, he's a little different. Um, he spends a lot more time with me. Um, I come home, and right away, you know, I got a zero turn. You know, to me, even having a rough day, and I come home, and I try to leave it in my van. I don't like to bring it at home. Not always, but uh, uh, when I get home, it's just an enjoyment, a joy that I feel that when my boy tells me, hey, Dad, hi, Dad, I love you. Let's go ride on the lawnmower, you know, riding the lawnmower. And to me, Brother Kyle, you know, I didn't have that option with my kids when I was, had the three, uh, three of my kids of my own. And, uh, and I don't want to treat these three different than I did the other ones. They all get treated the same. I love them just the same. I'm speaking on both our halves. My wife might feel different, but, uh, I mean, as far as loving the kids, she loves them like they're their own. Yeah. And uh, A.J. is definitely mama's boy. Because yeah. uh, last night I was telling him, you know, because we got two lazy boys, and we was watching a little show, and I said, well, you want to come over and sit with Dad? And uh, she says, uh, no, I want to sit with Mom. I said, do you love Dad? She said, no, I love Mom. Yeah. And I said, you don't love Dad? And he says, no, I love Mom and Dad. And staff, and he went on down the line. But, yeah. you know, I don't treat none of my kids no different. They're all the same. Yeah. All right. Good stuff there. Um, and, and you mentioned it because you have five girls and then AJ, right? And Brother Jimmy mentioned it, girls dealing with girls and things and so uh when we talk and again this is about parenting so maybe uh and then also include everyone included in this so um talk about you're used to one way and now all of a sudden you have a boy some of the differences you had girls the differences and then uh it, well if it doesn't get too uh what, what are some of the struggles you face even as a single parent uh, raising a child of the opposite sex. Um, so that whole thing encompassed, uh, if anyone feels comfortable answering that at all. For mine, it wasn't necessarily that they were the opposite sex. It's just that they were so different. Dalton was always mature, what I always refer to as an old soul. And Jade is, she's a 12-year-old. Not She's not a 12-year-old going on 30. She's a 12-year-old who's 12, you know, she's real, you know, not, I don't want to say childish or immature, but she's 12, and Dalton was always 9 going on 30. So that was difference in mine. All right. I would say, uh, you know, I had boys, and then I inherited the daughter, and I uh, probably ruined her because I pushed a lot of, you know, she coyote hunted, fished, you know, all those things. And uh, 
when she started to turn into a young lady, then uh, it dawned on me that she had she was a girl. I didn't really even think through that at all yeah. until <laughs> until she started turning into a young lady, and then you know she would talk to to us about you know things that mom had to answer, and uh, I knew it was out of my league then, but yeah. All right, and just a few questions. We're going to finish up here in just a minute uh, that everyone can answer. And, and uh, some of these are, are, could be just general parenting questions. Some of them are kind of specific to non-traditional families. But uh, in your situation, uh, from, from your situation, your standpoint, uh, first off, does your child have questions about your family makeup? If they do, how do you respond? Or is that something that you just openly address uh, how do you feel about that? With our foster boys, they constantly ask, are we going to get to go home? And, you know, a lot of times we don't have the answer to that, but mom is making the right steps, you know, so we're able to kind of open up and talk to them a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, you need to help your mom this and this when you're there, you know. Help her so that she can get you guys back, you know. Try to yeah. instill something in them that, they see that they need to do their part, too, to try to help in that situation. Yeah. Anyone else? How you deal with the, the situation? If it's open, if it's just the way it is, or it is no issue. Richard has a lot of questions, but he's, he doesn't... Um, He's just accepted the fact that Papa has brown skin and we don't, and it, he just doesn't, he doesn't correlate any of that with anything. Yeah. Um, and I'm his mom, no doubt about it. He, do, he knows nothing about the circumstances that got him here. I'm his mom. Yeah. And Will's his dad, and Papa has brown skin, and that's okay. Yeah. The other day, Jose, I think for the first time, had realized because I, I joke with him all the time. That's my personality, and I'm always telling him his real dad is George Lopez, and uh, we are always, and I, I always say I need to find that guy. He owes me some money. So, but uh, we were just the boys, John and Jackson, brought it up, kind of talking about that the other day. Um, you know, sometimes, the, uh, and they, they have questions, and we've been very open with them. The boys still get two, uh, two, three times a year, see their mother, their biological mother, their fathers. They're not sure where they're at. Um, you know, some of, the, uh, some of the reason your children act the way they do, when you begin to understand the DNA that is in them, it kind of lets you understand, you know, why, don't I, why did I never have to tell my children don't do this and I have to tell you every other second? Well, he has a lot different DNA running through his body than what my... Uh, uh, so you just deal with that. But Jose, the other day, we, the boys got to talking about, you know, my dad was a mean drug dealer, and, you know, and it's sometimes you try to be spiritual and, you know, let's just pray for him. You know, anybody can make a mistake and just be sure you don't. And, and Jose sit there listening. He said, you mean I, I have a dad that's not you? And I said, yes, son, you do. I said, um, if you haven't noticed, you're probably going to keep your beautiful dark hair all of your days. And I didn't. 
And I said, there's going to be other characteristics. Your tan doesn't go away in the winter like mine does. And um, he sat there and he just began to think about it for a little bit. And one of these days when Jose turns 18 and Jose says, I want to go see my dad. We're going to go find Jose's dad because that's who he is. I have three nephews that their mother checked out on them at such a young age Every single one of them, when they turned 18, they went to go find mom. They want to know who they are. You're going to hurt your kids if you don't let them know and understand that. And I want them to know. But I also want them to see we not only, they're not, you're not just a burner. That's not a family you're a part of. That's why the, that Sister Jean, God bless you, $100 million over and over for the time you've invested in my children and taught them the word of God. Because they're starting to put things together and say, that's why we do it this way. And I tell you what, this family right here, to every one of you, I wish I could hug all of you today. You're a blessing in my kid's life, and thank you for loving them. I mean that. But don't ever be afraid to let them know where you came from. But you know what? There is a better way than that. And, and if you are considering foster care, I want you to understand one thing. If your goal is not to bless those children and that mom and that dad and, and to bring them to a place where God can bless their lives, we still get phone calls. We still get texts from former foster children just saying thank you. But a lot of that thank you doesn't go to us. It goes to you. Thank you for your time. You've invested in my kids. Good. I'm just going to combine these, these last two questions here together. If, uh, and these could be questions that could be asked to any parent. Um, uh, but what, what would you consider as maybe your greatest uh, apprehension or fear when it comes to parenting? Uh, and then combined with that, is there a moment specifically that you would like to share when you think it's worthwhile? And again, that, that can be asked to any parent. A moment, you know... Where you, where you thought, this is why I do what I do. So your biggest apprehension, your biggest fear in your, in your situation or as parents, and then also when you feel like this is it, this is why I do it. My greatest fear is when they turn 18, that they'll turn around and walk away from God and walk away from a family that's blessed them. I pray about that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, that's something that they know we're not, the mom and dad but we want them to like us enough to want to hang around because we've chosen made a conscious decision to love them but I think the one that has the most memory and I believe I told it a year or two ago here Jackson asked me one day he said uh, we were sitting down and that boy's a deep thinker he really and John is too but for different reasons but uh, and there's nothing wrong with little Johnny's I'll tell you what I'll take a hundred of them today I would. And I know some of you hope and pray I don't, but but Jackson said the other day, Dad, did you, and I, when I say the other day, it's anywhere within the last 10 years, he said, um, you know, Dad, we have our own bedrooms, we have our bicycles, we got our own closets, and we've got, he said, Dad, did you adopt us so we could have better things and good stuff, and, and they count the school here as part of their blessings. Did you adopt us just so we could have all of those things? And I said, nope, that's not at all why I did it. He said, well, why did you do it? I said, because I wanted you. I want you to be my little boy for the rest of your life. 
I want you to know that I love you and care about you. And I said, I just wanted you. And if that's selfish, then I'm a selfish pig. But I love you and I'll be that way till I die. And that's, and it wasn't one of them. He walked over and hugged my neck and cried. And, and no, Brother Tim, this isn't my wife here today. <laughs> It wasn't one of those moments. It was just one of those, he took a deep breath, and it's like the day that we told him we was going to adopt him. I won't put my arm around you no more. The day that we adopted him, Jackson's words were, you mean we don't have to go to another home? I said, no, you are home. Yeah. And he took that deep breath of, it's going to be okay now. It's worth everything. If yeah. God calls you to do it, the other side is, if he doesn't call you to do it, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad at all. Yeah. Don't. It's not like we're doing anything different than anybody else. This is a calling of God on our lives. And if he didn't call you to do it, man, don't choose that battle. Yeah. That's the truth. So yeah. that's all I need. On my three girls, the first three girls we had, uh, me and Dawn got in church. I was going with her when I was 13, and she was 11. We got married. I got married when I was 19. And uh, I was raised, not raised in the church, um, but when, when we started going together, that's how I got in church. But anyway, um, I always heard the Word of God. I had some great men of God in my life that preached the Word to me about raising your children in the ways of the Lord, that when they get old, they won't depart and uh, so I tried to invest that in my kids uh, with their first three. And, uh, God, and the, like Brother Berner said, my fear of God is when they turn 18, you know, they get in that mindset of a teenager that I'm going to do what I want to do. But the three that we raised, the first three, um, they loved God. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, I tried to raise them. We tried to raise them uh, the best way we knew how. And we know if we put God first, you know, God's going to go ahead and bless their lives. And not only that, they got, I got three beautiful, well, handsome-looking son-in-laws. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And uh, I know that I told my kids when they married somebody to look at, don't just go to church and look for a guy. I says, see how they worship, see how they pray, see how they get behind the pastor. Yeah. And uh, I am so thankful, Brother Kyle. Yeah. And, uh... And turned around and, and I said, if they love God, they're going to love you. And if you could look at uh, all three of my son-in-laws, I am so blessed. Right. Um, Brother Bernard, you got to, uh, uh, Justin is a good man. And, Thank you, Brother uh, my, my dad always said that uh, Brother Bernard did a good job raising his children. And uh, I ain't going to worry about those kids. And then the other three, we're just going to go ahead and live for God. And bring them to church. We don't have no issue about not coming to church. Um, and they ask us, uh, when we cancel a service, they say, why don't we have church? And I say, well, then I explain it to them. And, uh, but that's what I wanted, we want to do is just live for God the best right. way we know how and train our children in the ways of the Lord so when they get old, Brother Kyle, they won't depart. So that's, that's right. what our job is to do as far as a parent is to do that right. and just trust in God and that's do the same thing with the other three. Right. It's good. good. Well, I was a single father for many, many years, and I couldn't have done it without my mom and dad, for one thing. And the one thing that I tried to do with my boys was to bring them to church, which was hard at the time. But all I can say is I do have one boy that's here today, and I know there will be another one someday. 
Amen. That's right. Amen. That's right. I just have to say one more thing. I get up here and you give an answer and somebody agrees with you and that's fine. I couldn't even begin to do this without the greatest blessing God ever put in my life is my wife. She understands and knows children. She is, it's obvious what she's done with the daycare, how much she loves children. I want to tell you what, if you and your wife cannot agree 110% on it, do not do it. Because I tell you what, there's times we agreed and I tried to renege on that and she would not let me. I tell you what, that he that's found a wife like mine has found a great thing. And I just want to say without that help of you two, there is going to be, you've just added wedges of division it seems like when you try to get into this but when you have someone that'll stick together with you like that you can do anything and I just wanted to put that plug in there today that's very good I want to thank all of these people uh, for their contribution here let's give them a big hand we're so thankful that you agreed to do this and uh like we said last year uh all these uh variety of issues of parenting and everything, understanding that you're not alone, that there's a variety of, of issues that come into it, whether you have a traditional or non-traditional family. Uh, but I think what we've heard is uh, relying on the Lord, raising your kids right, bringing them to church. You won't go wrong bringing them to church. And so I uh, want to thank all of them. Thank you for being here today. And we're going to be uh, transitioning. We'll be starting our main service here in a few minutes. Thank you for being here for Sunday school and uh, come entering to worship in just a few minutes.